The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with Birth Circle, and today I'm so excited to have Holly Lammer and Jamie Crockett with us. So Holly is an RN, a registered yoga teacher through the Yoga Alliance and a pre and perinatal psychology editor, educator, sorry. And you've been doing this for about five bazillion years, right? (laughs) Give or take. (laughs) Okay. And then Jamie is a student midwife doula and birth photographer, and she's had also five kajillion babies or maybe eight, but that's a lot, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the same. Yeah, yeah, so we're going to have a really fun conversation today. So tell us, um, how did you guys meet and, and start your project? Well, Jamie, I'll let you kind of talk about how we met and then right. we'll move on from there. How's that? That makes sense. Um, so I met Holly. I was pregnant with my eighth baby, um, but it was my husband's first baby because my first seven, eight, my first seven babies were with my first husband. And so we were having our first baby together and it was his first biological baby. And so I wanted to do all the things, take the classes and sort of immerse him in my love for birth and see if he was also going to fall in love with it, which he did. So I was pretty excited. So we signed up for Holly's prenatal yoga class, which also um, she did in conjunction with her intuitive birth class. So we sort of got a lot of rich content from her. And um, Ben was the only um, partner that attended all the prenatal yoga classes. So that was sort of cool. And I was just really like inspired by everything Holly was talking about. And even though it was my eighth baby and I was pretty educated in birth, I'd had all different types of births in different places. And so I, I really considered myself pretty knowledgeable. She introduced me to a lot of new ideas and things that I hadn't thought about. And she also sort of put a name and a face to some of the things that came really intuitively to me as a birthing person. And so I was like kind of latched onto everything that she talked about. Um, but her and I really didn't like connect out of class at all or anything. We just sort of waved and moved along. And um, really after I had my son and I was sort of reflecting on my birth, um, I was just kind of like thinking, wow, like everything Holly talked about needs to be out in the world. And people need to hear the way she talks about it and the way it made me feel. And it just was like, to me, this thing that like burned inside of me. And I approached Ben and we talked about it. and. We do um, videos and we make films and photography and media. And so we just thought it was kind of a natural thing to kind of just approach Holly and see if she'd ever sort of put it outside into the world besides just in in a live class. That's kind of how we met. And I sent Holly a message and I guess she can take it from there. Oh, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was really kind of cool because I've been doing this like like you said, for a gazillion years. Well, I mean, it's my passion started with my first child. Uh, it was 28 years ago, 29, really, when you consider the actual. Yeah, the gestation. <laughs> um, uh, because that's what was fascinating to me was was getting pregnant. You know, I was just like all of a sudden, like, oh my god, like wow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I immediately wanted to go be a midwife. Like from that moment, it was like. I don't know, like your calling or whatever you might call yeah. it. I, you know, I had never had anything like that before. I, 
I never really thought of having kids. Like I never, I wasn't one of those kind of girly girls. who's like, I can't wait to have children. And, you know, I, I, in fact, I was like working in Dutch Harbor, Alaska as a fish in the fishing industry, <laughs> like driving tractors and backhoes and, you know, crane operator. And I love doing that kind of stuff, like really heavy manual physical labor. And, um, and so um, I, I got involved in, in being passionate about birth at that point and just went with it from that time. Of course, it took me a lot, of, a lot of years to get through nursing school and I decided I actually wanted to go through that nurse midwife route. Um, and then I just kind of, I, I don't like to say I got stuck being a labor nurse because like, I feel like that's really where, like, I don't know, the S hits the fan. <laughs> right. When you're birthing in the hospital. Oh my goodness. Um, I, mean, you guys, I, can, I mean, the front lines, that's the front line. Yeah. And I mean, it can really make or break your birth experience, right? If you get a good nurse (laughs) in Uh, the hospital. Yeah, people don't acknowledge that enough that like you you plan all these things and you pick your provider, you pick the OB you trust or the midwife you trust, and then you go into the hospital and you have no control of the nurses and you forget that they have such a huge impact on your birth. Right, (laughs) yeah. And, and so that's kind of like, you know, that, that's what gave me the passion. And then pretty much into that, maybe a few years into the bedside nursing, I was, um, I, you know, I have to be kind of a little bit politically correct, but a little bit horrified at the, <laughs> at the culture and like what was happening. And, and the more that I, you know, f- saw what was going on and then I started, um, I had some issues, you know, usually people start mindfulness practice because there's something in their life that kind of drives them in that direction. And there were some things occurring in my life that kind of put me in that, in that, in that frame of mind, went to yoga teacher training, was practicing mindfulness. And it just kind of like struck me that um, this is what we need for birth education. And this is like a very short, tiny little snippet of a story of how all this fit together. (laughs) But I, um, I uh, formulated this curriculum after teaching a regular childbirth class in the hospital and just like pretty much like every time I had to go teach that class, I was like, (sighs) like my heart would just like kind of like uh, start sinking (laughs) and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, I can't teach this, you know, Uh, I'll, I'll go through these outlines, but I'm going to be talking my own way about what, what really needs to be happening in the hospital. And then, um, and then I got in, somehow found birth psychology, which is the APA, which is that pre and perinatal psychology educator thing. And I went to that conference and I was like, oh my God, these are my people. <laughs> so, um, so you definitely are very scientifically minded and you like to know the ins and the outs and the whys and the what's about like what's happening in the body and in the mind, the whole process. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. And we were talking before we started recording that this is, um, you know, everybody has a different way of mindfulness and a different way of processing information. So I'm so excited, especially to have you talk about the mathematical, the the scientific side of this mindfulness and birth psychology, because I think just having these answers for some people really helps them put their mind to ease and then practice mindfulness. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So um, when does this this start then? I mean... uh, when when do women or birthing people when do they need to start being cognizant of this type of of the changes that are happening and happening and when can they start practicing oh heck mindfulness don't even get me started on that so let me just tell you something our country is a little bit out of whack yes. I don't know if you know that <laughs> a little bit 
<laughs> Wait, which regard? I mean, to, you know, multiple. many, many regards everywhere, right? All across many the regards. Board. Yeah. Yeah, definitely when it comes to birth. And if you look at the statistics, right, we have the highest levels of preterm birth, uh, which is a stress related issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have the highest levels of maternal morbidity and mortality, which is also like a stress related issue because a lot of the reasons that people are dying. Um, is because they have stress-related underlying conditions of pregnancy that cause um, them to be more, have more complications during pregnancy. And are we talking like physical stressors, like gestational diabetes and high blood pressure? Are we talking like emotional stressors that then affect their birth? Oh, this is a whole podcast. So we have 45 minutes, go for it. (laughs) Anything that is what we call a physical stressor, like on a pregnancy, like high blood pressure and diabetes is caused by an overactive stress response in the brain and handed down through epigenetics. So this is where pre and perinatal psychology comes in. So um, if you have um, a whole population of people who have been oppressed, okay? Yep. Throughout the years. We have many groups. Hundreds of years. <laughs> we have many of those groups. Right. And even subgroups, even in certain families, they have been Exactly. Just, oh, yes. So let's start by with the population. Yeah. Have that stress-related um, handed down through epigenetics. It's transferred to generations to the baby to each baby. So one of the one of the big things that I just like to point out here, which was like a big eye opener when I went to that first uh, birth psychology conference, is they've done studies, and I hate studies on animals, but they did studies on mice, right? Because I thought kind of a lot what they do uh, Mm -hmm. when they're studying like human physiology, because we're just like little mice. Um, (laughs) um, That, you know, they would have a regular healthy, you know, mouse or or rat or whatever. I think it was mouse that they were studying. Mm -hmm. And it would, it would give birth, right? Okay. Totally healthy babies, no stressors. So, and then they would have another one that they would impose stressors upon, you know, I'm not exactly sure how you freak out a mouse, but you can freak out a mouse. Yeah, you can. Right. And those babies were born, um, showing particular, uh, effects from that stress. So Mm -hmm. certain things that, you know, they look for in mice, you know, like they don't suck properly. They don't, uh, you know, touch sugar metabolism, whatever Yeah. And then what, what they found is that, so like they would take maybe two babies from that first set and one of them, they would subject, they would not subject to stress. And that baby that they didn't subject to stress, their babies would still have effects of the stress from the grandmother. So how many generations? Four generations. Oh, wow. Before it was needed out. Yeah. So, so wait, 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 how many of us are three generations or less away from the great depression, the world wars and all of the crap that was happening in the early part of the century. And then we reset it with what's going on now. Right. And with now. Yeah. Like we're fine. I mean, that's not even, yeah, that's not even to mention a lot of the stressors that, you know, African-Americans are under, you know, hundreds of years of oppression. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like immigrants that are moving into our country and like the oppression that they face and the socioeconomic dysfunction. But, but, but basically I I don't want to make this doom and gloom, right? Because the, (laughs) the great thing is you can also counteract that by making things better in the next generation. So it might take four generations but still, that's why we call, that's why I came with that, that phrase word. And actually, I have to give um, credit to uh, one of my favorite teachers, Thich Nhat Hanh, who talks about watering the seeds of peace. 
So basically when you're practicing mindfulness during pregnancy, it doesn't matter what kind of horrible stuff happened in your past, in your generational past, in your ancestral past, and whatever, you have the opportunity to start moving that in a different direction in your baby's brain. And it was four generations in the mice, but we're humans. We have the ability to like emotionally process differently than mice, right? right? Exactly. This is really cool because I've always said from my own observation as a filmmaker that the birth moment has, uh, the time of pregnancy and mostly birth is like the most, the biggest opportunity for healing in our whole lives. Like you can do years and years of therapy in a good birth. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all, that was my observation. But what you're saying is it's actually true that that we can shift that and repair that damage. You can even do that before the baby's born, you know, like that's the point where I'm coming from is let's start that early on in the pregnancy. And when you said like, where do you start it? Like conception or whatever. I mean, there are other countries. So, um, and I I don't have all these in my head, but like O-M-A-E-P, that's like the, the, the worldwide organization for birth psychology. Um, They have a little book that they put out that you can download. It's a PDF called the 10 golden rules. Um, and like other countries, like say Greece, for example, they give this booklet out. The government gives this booklet out when people get, when people come in to get their marriage license. Oh, interesting. So they know, and it's all about, um, reproduction. So Mm. like, they know that when you're deciding to get married, you're probably going to have a baby and, and that baby is from even before you even think about conceiving the baby. It's going to have an effect on that baby, your relationship, how you view the world. So it like goes from like when you get married and you're in love and when you have sex, you know, like you need to be thinking about these things. It's like if you want to bring a new baby, a new child, a new spirit into the world and have it be as healthy as possible. I mean, it talks about things like walk in nature. You know what I mean? Like listen to beautiful music, look at beautiful paintings. It's like fill your mind and your soul with beauty and joy and gratitude. And this is like modern countries that are giving this out. Like we don't have that here. We don't even have paid maternity leave, you know? It's a a little bit hard to prepare when you've got all the stressors of life and then you also don't have any. Yeah. (sighs) What I loved about what Jamie talks about a lot, and you can speak to this, is like, you know, I mean, she has a lot of stressors. (laughs) It's not like you have to have a perfect scenario in order to practice mindfulness that's what's so great and jamie you've given birth in many different countries right yeah i have uh three countries so how does that like the different culture of where you're giving birth how has that affected your ability to practice mindfulness and keep your space well i feel like um well my first baby i was really young i was like 18 um it was my second pregnancy actually but my first live birth And so I think part of the reason I was really drawn to Holly was, is the lady that I connected with that I was like learning about birth. I mean, I was like a clean slate, knew nothing. Um, And she was my childbirth educator. She reminded me a lot of Holly. And she, I mean, she was like way, and this is a long time ago. And I don't know how old she was because like I was 18. So who knows how old (laughs) she actually was. But she talks about bringing her husband to the hospital with her when she had her baby and she brought handcuffs and handcuffed him to the bed because she wanted him to be there. And so she was like a real mover and shaker in the world when it came to birth. Whoa. And she just, I just like resonated and connected with her 
when she talked about it and it went beyond the physiology of birth. And I'm sure she probably talked about a lot of the stuff that Holly did and it just like rooted into me. And so I was really, um, well, first of all, I was terrified of needles. And so I was like, felt really let off the hook that I wasn't going to have to have an epidural. Like I was like, I can do this, do this. Mm -hmm. And so that was like my main reason. And then moving forward. So when I went into the hospital to have my son, the nurses were surprised and they were like rolling their eyes that I was going to have this like unmedicated birth and all this. And I was so young and I didn't really know what was going on. And I did it. And I walked around and I like, I worked through it and I just like went inward and I didn't have any negative um, feedback from like uh, past people. I didn't hear negative stories. I was just like, it was just my experience. Just a blank slate. Yeah. And then I just was like, so overwhelmed with the emotions that I felt when he was born. And I just like cried for the first like 12 hours of just so much joy and so much love. And I just didn't have like the words for what it felt like to become a mother and to have gone through birth. And it just like was coming out of me. I can't explain. I still have never been able to kind of like find the words. And so when I went on to have other babies, I just took that with me. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of it for me was, is I didn't have babies in the United States, most of them. And so I wasn't inundated with the negative culture that we have around birth here. All I had was my own personal experience that I had when I was super young. And I just took that with me. And I was just, um, when I had every baby I had, like that was the root, like I was going to, I wanted that emotion and that feeling and that connection with my baby and every baby, I just like sought out more and more information. And it first started out with physiology. And then I, you know, of course moved into item A and all of these things. And then I got deeper and deeper and deeper. And so meeting Holly was like this other level of like, oh, this is why you feel this way. Oh, these are the words. These are the hormones. This is like, there's a reason that you feel this way. And it kind of like was insane because I was like, oh my gosh, this is intuitive. And so what I've kind of always said is, is that it's sad that we have to unlearn. Like if we could just all go and give birth and didn't have like all this outside negativity or fear or whatever comes in and we could just do what we're supposed to do. That's what I've gotten to do all these times. And we have to unlearn what we, what we. Mm-hmm. Unlearning I think is an amazing word. We're how to give birth instinctively, intuitively. Mm-hmm. We cats and dogs do it, right? Like you see people, I have friends that are been midwives in third world countries and all of these things and like, they give birth and it's a beautiful thing. And it's sad that we have to educate people on how to give birth. Like, I feel like that's a really sad thing that we have to talk about mindfulness and that we have to talk about intuitive birth because everything Holly talks about is stuff that I just like kind of got to do. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah. So how was your mother's birth with you? How were your mother's births? <laughs> well, this is one reason why I got into this. <laughs> I suffer from, from complications from that. But it's not my mom, like, you know, she didn't have any, any awareness of it. Right, right. That's what I was wondering. It sounds like Jamie accidentally healed those generations before by just having right. this, this experience. But it doesn't have to be accidental. We can do it purposefully. Right. Well, so, if you know. Yeah. So Holly, I'm just dying that the math, the, the science in me, it just wants to know. She's talking about the hormones right. and all of those things. So what are these actual hormones that are are causing this wiring change, like as we transition. Right. Well, first of all, and I think a lot of people have probably heard of the hormones of birth, but I, but I like to start with the stress response because that's kind of like the basic foundation of us as human beings. <laughs> we have, you know, the way we're that basically brain, just balls of hormones, right? Exactly. Yeah. The way that our brains evolved, you know, um, you know, we have like majority hindbrain response or reaction, which is just fight or flight. That's it. Or freeze. 
And then we have this big giant noggin up here that's like trying to make sense logically of stuff. But it's so <laughs> that attached we're to always the taught to use it. <laughs> right. It's very attached to the ego, this part. Oh. And then the middle part of the brain, which is the mammalian brain, is called the limbic system. Generally speaking, this generally speaking. So if you're a brain scientist out there, please oh, well, we, we're just, me a yeah. little slack. <laughs> I actually had a brain scientist in my class one time. I was just like, oh my God, I'm so glad I didn't know that at the beginning of the class. Well, just consider um, the audience. We're just breaking it down because this is really right. useful information. You're basically saying the back is the, the ancient part. Flight, like I'm going to run away alive. Yeah. Right. Keeps us alive from the saber tooth tiger. The right. front is what makes us human. It makes us a, the ability for us to have conscious thought and make choices that are... Right above what an animal can do yeah okay great and then animals can do it too well yeah in a different way yeah okay and then the middle is it's called the limbic system it's kind of what runs the hormonal physiology and and that that middle part of the brain kind of is the relay station between the two other parts of the brain so if we have a really strong like uh intuitive uh, mammalian brain, the HPA axis, hypothalamus pituitary axis, it kind of like regulates. It's like, you know, I might see, um, for me, uh, a little, a little motion behind my eye, you know, in the back of my thing. And mm-hmm. I'm afraid of spiders. So immediately I'm like, Oh, it's a spider. Right. And I just go into this fight or flight mode. And then I have the wherewithal, hopefully to like turn around and say, Oh, it's just a leaf. So the, the thing that allows me to make sense of the image that I see of a leaf is the, is the limbic system, the middle part of the brain it's that's regulating. Part. Okay, so those people that are hyperreactive basically have overreactive hindbrains. Hindbrains, and the limbic and, system isn't able to regulate it and keep them. Right, and if you, you know, I'm just saying, if you want to know more about this in really great detail, we have a podcast episode. I think it's like one of the first ones Um, where we talk to a neurobehavioral child psychologist, Dr. Roger Olson, who basically talks about this, how, you know, and when you're, when you're pregnant, you're, you're building that part of your baby's brain. I mean, it's certainly influenced by genetics and epigenetics or by epigenetics, let's say, but you're, you're the hormones that you're secreting as you're pregnant are going straight to the baby to kind of inform the baby on what to expect when it comes out. So Perfect. if you're always hyper-reactive, the baby's like, oh, the world must be full of tigers. Well, and I, I, I think of the example that. of the, the potato famine, the children born during the potato famine, they're much more insulin resistant. They have a harder time losing weight because they were born during, or they were gestating during a time of famine. So their bodies learned, oh, we're right. coming into a rough spot. So that's just mechanical. Yeah. That's just a hormone that got turned on. Yeah. But you're saying the same thing can happen with our the chemicals are hormones that run our emotions. Right, exactly. And and the thing is you can't separate it. So like the emotion is tied to the hormonal response. <laughs> um, and, and certainly there's certain like physical manifestations that some certain people have more of a tendency towards. So generally speaking, you know, it depends on your race, on your gender, literally. I mean, Generally speaking, women or females are more um, hypervigilant if they have overactivity in their brain. And generally speaking, okay, I'm just being generally speaking, males have more violent tendencies mm-hmm. when they're hyperreactive, an ADHD kind of tendencies when they're hyperreactive. So women have more of a tendency toward depression and hypervigilance. 
Males generally have more of a tendency towards violence, aggression, and um, hyper hyperactivity because it's like if 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 you're training your brain to be always on the lookout for tigers, right? That's what I was going to say. When when you say these ma- these scientific things, I think, well, what were we as a species? Right. What did we survive? I just read right. a book about all of the great wars in the last seven thousand years, and I'm like, right. how did anyone survive? But it right. made the the comment about how losing all these great warriors in battle actually changed the way men at home developed because who was left at home was a different type of man. Like anyway, in these cultures and why certain civilizations fell purely because they had killed off all their warriors and the men left at home couldn't fight a saber tooth tiger. It's fascinating, fascinating. Yeah. And what I really like to bring up is first of all, um, well, I mean, there's so much more to like the actual birth process itself, right? <laughs> just like talking about generally just reproduction, right? It's like we um, we have the mindfulness gives us the ability to override our biology. Say it again, one more time. Mindfulness gives us the ability <laughs> to override our biology. That is so- the most hopeful phrase I have heard. Right here. That is that so amazing. And and this isn't, I mean, this is really an evolutionary type of thing. It's like, you know, if literally you're living in a in in a jungle where there's saber tooth tiger, poisonous snakes, and all that stuff, you need to have hyperreactivity in your brain. Okay, so that's really a good thing. If you're living in like a culture like ours, <laughs> there's always food. Yeah, generally speaking, I mean, there are some people that are suffering for sure. And we have a lot of stress-related disease. We have the highest reported levels of stress of any country in the world. Um, but it comes from our lifestyle. Um, and, and when you practice mindfulness, you actually build up the part of your brain, the limbic system. <laughs> so it's the part that's able to regulate. It's the part that's able wow. to say, okay. There's this stupid pandemic going on, you know. <laughs> I mean, um, hypothetically speaking, of course. Right. <laughs> but I, um, the sun is shining outside and I see this beautiful green leaves. I see a beautiful flower. And I don't like people to beat themselves up over having hyperreactivity because it's serving me, right? Like if in the old days, if you didn't run away from that tiger, if you were smelling a flower instead of paying attention to the tiger, you're going to die. <laughs> but if we can realize with mindfulness that like, okay, I'm programmed this way. I accept that. Okay. I honor that part of me that is kind of making me do this. So we don't try and squish it down. You know, it's like we honor it. We give it some, it's like uh, holding it like a crying baby. You know, this part of us is like saying, hey, I'm just trying to protect you, (laughs) you know. And would you get mad at a crying baby? No. So why would you get mad at your broken broken limbic system? You just, you can raise it up. You can mother it, right? And when you practice, like what I really try and emphasize, because we, I do teach a lot of people that have stress in their life when they're pregnant and that makes them really nervous because then they're like, oh my God, now I'm wrecking my baby's brain because stress. Actually, that was my next question. That was totally my next question. If you're just overwhelmed with stress, I mean, you, there's nobody in your family that's ever had a good birth or even, I mean, your whole, your whole family is a ball of stress and everybody's down your case, even your extended family. And maybe they've 
diagnosed your baby with something that may look scary or something and different. I mean, how do you override this? It's, it's, it's so many people say mindfulness and I just want to slap them because it's like when you're in the thick of it, telling somebody to calm down does not help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are the actual tools to this mindfulness that you're talking about? Jamie, do you want to speak to that or you want me to go through it? Have you had that experience? Uh, well, I think that, I mean, I'm, I think I'm, I consider myself a little bit lucky in the way that I don't react to a lot of things. I'm pretty chill, maybe over the evolution of having eight babies. I was going to say, I don't have I've had, like, I've moved through several countries. I've had home births that were not legal. I mean, I've had a lot of like weirdness, but also I've welcomed that into my life because of my personality. Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about things, I always like have to be a little bit more aware that other people just have a different reaction than I do. Um, but for me, I am a lot more logical in the way that I can go, okay, like, where is, what is it going to do to freak out? Like I can freak out about whatever this is, but what is it going to do? And it takes me down this road that just causes more anxiety, which I don't, I, I just really don't like being in that space. I don't think anybody does, but, um, so what can I do to sort of accept it and find the good? That's, again, I'm more of a very much cup half full, almost to the point that it's not helpful sometimes, but that's- <laughs> <She> inspires me. <laughs> All I know is that, but um, that's kind of how I have dealt with it is that you just have to be logical and understand like, there's a, there's a, like Holly says, there's a lot of bad, but there's also good. And what can you control and what can you not control? And then the things that you can't control, you have to like think it through let it go through and you have to let it through your body. I can't, there's this book I read about and I can't remember what it's called, but it was essentially, you have to deal with these things. The stress, right. if it will live, literally lives in your heart and it will like cause you anxiety. Holly probably has like the scientific idea of what that is. <laughs> you have to like process it, see it, let it go through your body and let it go. Right. Um, you can't ignore it. But focusing on the things that you can control, I think is, is the most helpful. Yeah. Um, that's what I've, that's what I, yeah. you know. Well, I just like to bring that up with Jamie because she's literally like, I'm teaching this, but she's like living it much more um, intuitively than I am. So I think that's one reason why we connected because I have this intellectual knowledge and I've done all the study and I've researched it and I have felt it in my body, but she's like, she just lives it, you know? So it's kind of a good combination. And so obviously we have different genetic tendencies or epigenetic tendencies or whatever. Um, But what I tell people um, when they take my class is number one, um, when you have an emotion come up that's difficult, anxiety, frustration, anger, fear, um, it, it, it causes a feeling in your body. So emotions and feelings are kind of the same, right? Like you feel your heart racing. You feel your shoulders tensing, right? You feel like a little clenching in your gut. So the first thing that you do is notice that. You don't try to change it, okay? So the problem is most of us walk around clenched, tense, not noticing. We don't even know that we are like that. Okay, we're living like that continuously in our lives, and me included. Okay, I think that's one of the positive, honestly, of this 
pandemic, what has been that it has caused the entire culture to stop and think. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing so many people process their emotions on TikTok and on Facebook lives, Instagram, like they're learning that this has caused them to stop and evaluate their inner feelings. And then what happens after that? But it's just been an interesting to see so many people do it at the same time. Yep. So hopefully it'll cause like a massive shift on a human level, but, but it's like, um, just the act of stopping itself, you've already started to shift the wiring. That's what people don't understand. Like if you don't stop, you're going to go out and kill somebody or whatever. You know what I mean? Like people, you, there's so many, uh, um, uh, uh, let's say, uh, do things you'll regret. Yeah. Of what people do that when they don't stop. When you stop, it's like that in itself starts the change. And then as you practice mindfulness more and more, and you're stopping and you're like, ooh, I feel angry, okay? So first of all, you don't want to use words like I am angry because then you're like, you, you're making yourself that thing. It's just a neurological response in your body. So you're, you're noticing a feeling, and what's causing, what, how are you noticing that feeling? It's like, my heart seems to be beating faster. So always bring it to your body. So just like Jamie said, it's like your body is the first um, messenger. You know, my muscles are tensing. My gut is clenching. My heart rate is increasing. My breath is shallow. Okay. So that you want to notice your body, what's happening in your body. And then sometimes that's all you can do, right? But in that moment, in that moment that you do that, you start to shift. Yeah. So and then, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, there's this word neuroplasticity. Basically, people say, right. oh, you can change your brain. So yeah. you can rewire your brain. So what you're saying is, this is like neuroplasticity. You can rewire exactly. your brain. Yep. So you stop. And then that little thing that wants to always go down that same path halts, you know? So think of like a, a path in the forest during the foothills. We have foothills here and you well, live in Salt Lake? Yeah, I'm in, in the yeah. mountains. But you think of these grooves, at these, these grooves. paths through the forest. Yeah, that uh-huh. you, and you stop doing that and the, right. the path eventually fades away. Right. And not only that, you stop that path, but then you make a new path, right? So then you're like, okay, when I notice this in my body, I'm going to do this instead. I'm going to breathe. When I see a spider crawling across, right. I'm just going to sing the with the spider. <laughs> and I think it starts that. with awareness. I mean, I think what you're yeah. saying is awareness. Cause like really like having us all accept that we, we maybe react negatively to a situation, but it's okay. Like Holly said, it's, it's not you. It's just how your brain is choosing to react to situations. And we all have different things. And, you know, I talk to my kids a lot about this and we, we talk just to different situations. And it's like, it's, I think we all as humans, like we all have this initial reaction. And a lot of times it's self-preserving. It, it, you know, I mean, the reason that our species survives is because right. we like want to take care of ourselves and our right. own. That's, That's just like how we honor it. Yeah. Yeah. We like meet, make our own DNA line move along. Um, and so I think n- most of us have a reaction, the same reaction initially to something, how you choose to deal with it is maybe where we all go different. Right. And then if you have an awareness that, oh, like Holly said, I react really negatively when I haven't had dinner and my kids scream or whatever. Having an awareness of how you feel and realizing, oh, I need to stop. It's me. It is me. 
our, our feelings are our feelings, but they're not always like valid to treat other people that way. Right. And so I think that's like the key is stopping and understanding how you feel and how, why you're reacting a certain way. Right. And then that's where you can change it. And like right. Holly said, so you're saying the step, the first step initial. is, the first step is even just recognizing that right. there's awareness. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and like you said, Holly, like, even if that's all you do, that's still like the first right. thing. So yeah. sometimes people say they'll make me mad and I'll be like, I'm mad, but I don't know why. But right. at least I know I'm mad and I'm not going to project it on you or my kids. But something about what you said triggered me or made me mad. Right. And then that's the, that's the first level. And then the second right. level would be like later in the shower. I'm like, I know why she made me mad. Later she in the shower. The, yeah. She wouldn't <laughs> give me the details I needed to really understand the problem. And that frustrated me, you know, whatever right. it is. Yeah. And, so. and that's the thing is, you know, I mean, I, I call it the ABCs of mindfulness is how I work through it. But it's like awareness is number one. <laughs> number two is breathing. Okay, so I'm aware that this thing is coming up inside of me. So what I'm going to do before anything else, I'm going to choose to focus on my breath because the breath is the number one thing that changes the nervous system. So, you know, our heart is beating, our blood pressure is going along, our hormones are secreting, all of these things are happening unconsciously. We have no control over it, but we can control our breath. It's the one thing we can control. And, we, and what happens when you slow your breathing and you increase the rate of your inhalation and you increase the, you know, the exhalation, it shifts your nervous system from sympathetic to parasympathetic. Like that's proven by science. So, so when you focus, when you have that awareness and you stop and then you focus on literally it shifts your nervous system right then. That's it. You know, and then you might be able to move towards what you said, Sarah, of, okay, what caused that? So then you have an opportunity. It's what the C part of conscious mm -hmm. choice. <laughs> it's like awareness, focus on your breath. And then like, what, what do I want to do about this? So that's yeah. reaction versus responding. Mm. So then when you have a, when you have that, that feeling, instead of just unconsciously reacting, you can choose the response. Yeah. And I used to feel bad that when I couldn't figure out why something would upset me that that I wasn't deserved to be I wasn't de deserving to be upset. Like I didn't I I wasn't allowed to be upset if I didn't know why. And so what you're saying is just that's I just that's why I keep getting hung up on this because I think this is so powerful, especially when you're in the brand new emotions of pregnancy mm -hmm. and birth and postpartum. There are so many things you feel that you just don't understand and honestly maybe not even have the tools to understand at that point. Right. So just acknowledging that just acknowledging it yes. is half the battle and you can work yes. on the conscious part later. Yes. That's so, I wish I had heard this 15 years ago, honestly. Yeah, you don't, you don't need to know everything. You but don't. yes, I do. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, you know, take this thing though, it takes practice. That's why my, my class is like, you know, I emphasize this isn't going to work unless you practice it because it's, it's just like learning to play an instrument. You know, I mean, luckily Jamie was born just like Mozart was born with a certain ability. Yeah. You know, she was born with the ability to be a little bit more chill, whatever, however her nervous system was wired. Um, but I'll tell you um, part of it probably is because my mother was not chill. Okay. So, and so mm. I'll tell you, I think it's watching how other people like, this is another thing yeah. is that like, you can look at and you can identify, oh, I don't like it. 
when this person reacts this way, it makes me feel bad. And so that, that was a giant part for me of, Mm. oh, I don't like the way that looks or feels or that's, so I'm not going to be that way. So I'm literally like the direct opposite of the way she ever acted Uh, in every, every way. So there is the part, like, this is the hope part. I think in what Holly talks about is that, yeah, generational trauma is a thing, but you can also take that. And I think people go two ways. If you're in a situation and you see that it's negative and you don't want to carry that onto your kids, you can change it. Or then there's that other side of people just keep doing it over and over again, which is really a hard one for me to understand of why people perpetuate. It's unconscious. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know. But that's, again, non-awareness. So right, I think right, awareness right. brings you to the surface, let your ego sort of go, and you just sort of analyze the situation, and then you can move forward, and it's not always about you. And then it's right. just a thing. And the thing, like, moving into birth, I just had this come up in my head, is Holly talking about the two sides of your brain, the front thinking part and the back emotional part. Moving past the pregnancy and into labor, if you can set up your birth to be in a space that you can be in this labor land where you can let the front part of your brain go and you can live in the back part of your brain and your support. Yes. And your support people can do the thinking for you. This is something that I got from Holly's class too, was then that, that allows you to relax and labor and birth in the way you're supposed to and not have like they say, you know, someone come in and turn the lights on and all of a sudden your brain goes from that sort of emotional, I'm laboring and connecting with the baby to my front part of my brain is going, oh, now I need to be thinking, why is the light on? Is there something going on? Mm-hmm. And so I think the mindfulness goes into that, that birth part of preparing your birth space and the people that are going to be in your birth so that you can be safe. And then that moves along to safe. Yeah. trauma. Yeah. Yeah, would have. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's like what I took from Holly's class of your brain, different sides of your brain is don't ever ask somebody in labor if they want to drink water. Why would you make them think about that? Just hand it to them. You know, like don't, you know, you shouldn't have to be making decisions while you're in labor. That's a really make the decisions before labor. And if there's somebody in the room that's acting like a saber tooth tiger, they better not be in your birth space. Right. Yeah, right. Let them right. in there, make right. that decision weeks before and have that hard conversation weeks before. Right. Been in labor spaces where somebody was misbehaving and the woman had to come out of her space, come right. to conscious and present and say, you need to get out. Or she just didn't. And then she just suffered through it. And it's like, no, right. no, don't do that right. to your space. Yeah. And then you end up in a failure to progress birth, you know, interventions and possibly cesare- cesarean birth when really maybe all you needed was to feel safe in the space you were at so that your right. baby felt your yeah. body and your baby and your mind and all of your things decided it was safe to bring this baby into this world. And that's like the key. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to speak because you did say like, uh, Sarah, you kind of going back, I digress. <laughs> if you're pregnant and you know that you have a lot of stress and that you know that you have anxiety and you react, overreact to stress and you're now worried because I said, oh my God, you're going to shape your mm-hmm. baby's brain to be stressed. My mom, my dad would say, my dad would say, don't be stressed. You'll give your baby brain damage. Oh my God. Which is super helpful. <laughs> oh, That's really so, helpful. So what, what, what we do in the, in the, in the pre, uh, prenatal and perinatal psychology world. So this is APA. This is that certification is you tell your baby, okay, man, I was just stressed out. You know, like I was driving and this driver cut me off and it, I thought that I was going to get an accident and I had a surge of adrenaline and I felt like a tiger was chasing me. And it's like, but you know what, baby, this has nothing to do with you. 
you don't need to worry about this because our unborn babies, those stress hormones pass through and they basically are like, okay, what do I need to be worrying about when I come out? And I mean, sometimes it's true that we're, it's because it's a car cut us off, or maybe you live in the jungle and that, you know, or live in, a, in an area where there's a lot of violence and you step outside your door and you don't know if somebody's going to shoot you while you're jogging. I mean, I'm just being realistic. Right. For sure. Okay. Um, and, and there's a good, um, there's good reason for that. So that's why I say we need to honor those things in our, in our being, but a lot of us walk around and we have that response when there's really nothing but, um, you know, uh, somebody spilled the milk on the floor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Or okay. I didn't get dinner, uh, groceries yeah. the way I've had to, or, you know, I had yeah. to drive into, I have this deadline at work and, or at school or whatever it is. And I didn't get done what I needed to get done. So, uh, you know, our babies don't know the difference between there's a saber tooth tiger chasing me and I didn't get I have this time deadline at work, you know, and, and, and the unborn baby, they don't know the difference. So we need to kind of like have that communication with them. Like this so, really is a safe place for you to be. So Holly, mommy's stuff, not your stuff. This is so big because what you're basically saying is you can override the biological hormones by in your mind, in your spirit, communicating with the baby's spirit. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Help. Let me, let me, but I'm not, you're not, this is what I love. You're not overriding the biology because when you recognize that you've had the stress response, the hormones shift. Oh, I see what you're you saying. You see what I mean? Okay. So like, that's what I love about the, the science behind it. You know, you, there's so much that you can feel and people, when you don't understand the biology, it's like woo woo. Okay, like, and I'm not, I mean, to me, spirit, physical, mental, it's all intertwined, you know? Right, so what you, you basically took me out of the woo-woo right there and put me right back into biology. Awesome. And I love that because right. understanding biology makes the woo-woo make sense. <laughs> yes, so let's even say, um, you know, we all come from different religious faiths. And let's say you have a stress response and your religious faith is to pray, like right away to like bring in protection from, from God or from Jesus or whatever religious faith, the moment that you have that recognition to go ahead and that's changing the stress response, you're changing the stress response in your body. You're literally shifting the hormonal activation. So, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, this is kind of funny. Imagine you're running away from a tiger literally is chasing you and you have the wherewithal to pray to God that the tiger isn't going to eat you. It changes how you how you feel around running. You feel a tiny bit safer because you've just called in your higher power. But literally, it's because you had. It's like you're you were able to have the awareness to actually do that thing of praying or whatever. I am loving this because you're saying basically that religious ritual is it works because of biology on so many different levels. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. So oh, I want to talk about that forever. Is, yeah. I mean, it's like so, and that's the other thing is we get so caught up in like you know. Is it God? Is it spirit? Is it biology? Whatever. It's like all intertwined. I mean, it's so yeah. recognize that. And and like even atheists, you know, believe that there's something else kind of going on out there. But but even that, if they just stop, even as an atheist, they just stop that stress response or they're doing the same thing biologically. 
Yeah. And so, and then we take an extra measure when we're pregnant. So we're like, I just had, you know, like a uh, fear response. Um, and there really wasn't anything to be afraid of. And I'm going to take a second to tell my baby, you know, Hey baby, mommy's a little stressed out right now, but this has nothing to do with you because our babies kind of learn actually, if we keep perpetuating that to take care of us. Yep. And that's a oh, big that's <laughs> Jamie's so, yeah, I know you never want your babies to do that. <laughs> no, no. We've had a couple guests on our podcast that have talked about the same thing and they all have their own way of explaining it, but it's like, ah, it makes sense. Cause they're each bringing it back to the same thing. And it's when you accept that you're going through stress, the way you choose to deal with it, prayer, meditation, whatever it's, I'm not discounting that prayer doesn't work or any of those things, but why it works in you is because it's what your choice is, is to find your peace and center yourself again. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and so that's why it's, it's really disappointing to hear people discount each other's religions because it does actually work for them on that level. Absolutely. And then when you're talking to your baby, you're connecting with your baby and you are settling yourself and you're releasing those like, getting rid of the stress hormones and bringing yourself back to um, homeostasis because you're rationalizing it and the baby's hearing it. There's so many levels of it. It's not just, oh, you're talking to your baby, your baby understands. But some people like roll their eyes when I say, I just wrote a paper about this for school. We had a, a pretty big debate about it. And thankfully I had a lot of specialists that we'd sort of talk to <laughs> on this and I could pull it out and be like, no, yeah. this is why. Right. This is why talking to your baby scientifically yeah. works. Because they're oh, like rolling gosh. their eyes like, yeah. What? I can't, that doesn't make sense. Why would people, and I'm like, this is why. Like, think about how it makes you feel. It's hormones, it's your response, it's your baby's, and it builds your connection with your baby from preconception all the way to the time that you're, you know, on your last leg and wherever. Like, it's all so important because you're, like Holly says, you're training yourself, you're training your baby, you're training your relationship, and you're going to have that relationship. How are you going to choose to build it? Right. Positively, openly having conversations or close down and all of that, because it is scientifically proven that you have that sort of a relationship in utero with your baby, your baby will feel the need that they need to take care of you when they're born. And as you get older, it's insane and fascinating. (laughs) So you're basically also saying if if you have the stress response and then you stop it cold, hard, your baby will hear your, your baby will feel the change in the hormones. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. also helping your baby understand that a stressor is meant to last little, like a short while until there's a resolution? So then the baby right. would biologically be used to being like, oh, what's the spider? Oh, and then look for a resolution more quickly yes. instead yes. of expecting to be bathed in that stress for a longer time. Yep. Yes. So you're basically you're- giving your kid resiliency. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, emotional resiliency. This is so yummy. Yep. <laughs> And it's, it's called exec, executive functioning is what Dr. Roger Olson talks about. And it's just basically that part of the brain that's able to say, this thing really isn't that stressful. Like I don't need to react this way and I can choose to put my attention over here instead. And, and you know, I mean, it's so hard for, I mean, our country is off the charts when it comes to ADHD you know, children stress, like I said, like it's off the charts. And so it's, we have a lot to overcome and that's why, you know, watering the seeds of peace. I mean, it's like any time, one time, one time that you have the wherewithal to say, Whoa, I'm feeling stress. Hey baby, this isn't about you. 
Whoa! Imagine how um, moving forward the the ramifications of that. You know, you just don't know moving down the line how that's going to affect that kid, and then all that person, all that 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 child comes in contact with. You know, and when you practice it during pregnancy, then you have more of an you have you're starting to wire your brain, so you're going to act like that when you have a child. So you're going to act differently as a parent if you start this mindfulness training during the pregnancy. So So the point is, is don't read all those parenting books about sleep training and, (laughs) you know, all the, you know, when to introduce solids, all of that read mindfulness, the kind of parenting that you need to do is build the bond with your baby before they're born, do the work that you need to do on yourself, identify your triggers, have awareness. So when they're here, you're able to react positively in situations because they'll mirror that. And parenting comes naturally if you if you if you have an awareness for how you feel and how you act to your your child. It's true. If you have a connection with yourself and your baby, parenting yep. decisions are. And when people tell you you're wrong, when the pediatrician says this baby needs to be whatever, and it doesn't, you don't agree with that pediatrician, you will stand stronger in that. Going, no, I know my baby and I know myself, rather than going, oh no, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm a bad person, maybe I'm a bad mom. You, you'll right, because right, you've right. connected this. You've you've made this connection to yourself and your baby. Oh my god! Right. You, you do if you start if you start. I think having trust in your intuition, and this is like going back to maybe the fact that I didn't only have to give birth in lots of different countries. I parented in different countries. I had babies in. I'm so the curious. You ha- I was gonna say you have to tell me which countries. I'm so curious. Well, Germany and the Middle East, which is in in Qatar, and in Germany the medical system was fine. I mean, it was different because it was just there's a lot of difference. But um, in the Middle East, there's a lot of there's a lot of doctors that aren't really doctors. There's a lot of things that you know. There's, you make a lot of decisions, and you have to go against sort of what recommendations are. And so, gratefully and thankfully, I had a great intuition, and so I just did what I wanted. And I didn't really like. I would. I mean, I just didn't. I didn't. I wasn't like so focused on if the pediatrician says I should put cereal in my four month old bottle, then I need to do it because the pediatrician said that. I just. Right. If, you have a healthy relationship with yourself and a great connection with your intuition. Typically, we're pretty much set up to parent our kids and make good choices. And if you throw your intuition out the window or you don't ever connect with it, you're going to struggle at parenting because you're going to go to one pediatrician who's going to say one thing. You're going to go to another that says another. Your yeah, mom exactly. Is- your friends are going to, and you're going to be all over the board. And your poor kid is going to be a disaster <laughs> because they're going to go from, you know, having a, a million different things going on in their life because you were testing the waters of what everybody told you you needed to do. But really, like, it's instinctual in us how we should raise our kids. Everybody Most needs to go time. be Jamie when they grow up. This, <laughs> no, but seriously, Jamie when I grow up, it obviously you obviously practice what you preach. It's it's awesome. So, um, I've always thought that like birth, you know, if you treat a woman in birth, if you solve problems in birth, that we like solve world hunger. And I think yeah. this has been my favorite episode to date yeah. that just like gives me mm-hmm. support for that hypothesis yeah. because absolutely we can do so much for the yeah. next generation just in this yeah. small amount of time and for yeah. ourselves healing yeah. past and, generations. Yeah, exactly. And that's all I just want to really quick kind of speak to that is, you know, there's during, the, obviously there's so much, you know, conception pregnancy, the birth itself, but like, you're so right. Like birth is such a time 
that there's so much going on, the potential for transformation during, even if you didn't hear anything about this during your pregnancy and you just now are like, oh my God, I'm going to have my baby tomorrow. I'm in labor right now. Amen. I'm going to practice mindfulness. It's like it, it, the birth itself is um, the brain, uh, the, the, the neuron, um, uh, how many neurons are being connected in the baby's brain during birth are astronomical during the birth process itself. And then like you as a person who's giving birth is being transformed by that. You know, like it's pretty much like the spiral, the cycle of, of everything in our whole lives. is. Birth. And we didn't even get to talk about the partners and the other people in the birth room. Oh and my the siblings. God. Yeah. Another, episode. another episode. Oh my gosh. This has been so fascinating. Okay. So tell all of the peoples <laughs> how they can find your podcast, anything that you've ever written. How can we learn more oh about all of this? Well, yeah, I have a website. It's called www.embryoga.com. Which is adorable, um, Embryoga. <laughs> that, that's what, that was my yoga, uh, prenatal yoga program. I Love kind it. of put them together, but like I thought that was so funny. And I was like, I'm never going to use that. And then I'm like, why the heck not? I'm just going to do it. It's, a, so it's an adorable it. name, Embryoga. Uh-huh. Yeah. So basically you're training your baby to do yoga in, in utero. But anyways... Um, and then our podcast um, website is www.mindfulbirthpodcast.com. And then Jamie is also a wonderful, amazing birth photographer. And where are you located right now, Jamie? I'm in Boise. And she's okay. in midlife school. And midwifery yeah. school. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know, slowly work my way through the birth the birth community here and yeah. land on, on midwifery finally connected. <laughs> so what is your, do you have a photography website? Yeah, it's um, tribebirth.com. Tribebirth.com? Uh, tribebirth. Yeah, I do do yeah. love photography, videography, but only for a short more time because I have to, you know, attend births on the other end of the bed. I was going to say, how do you... <laughs> And she has eight kids plus two. I know. I was going to say, how do you do this with the babies? You have an incredibly supportive partner. Yeah, he's amazing. Like I said, he fell in love like with birth and the process. Um, Oh, you indoctrinated him, brought him in. Our first date, I probably just like yammered on about birth. And he was a a goner. (laughs) I wouldn't tell him how many kids I had. That's for sure. But I probably talked about birth (laughs) on some level. (laughs) He's really really cool. He also does videography. It's uh, uh, Tribe Creative Media. It's very cool. And he does a lot of cool stuff. And and then, you know, of course, Facebook, um, my Facebook page is um, embryoga-intuitivebirth, and I post all my stuff. I have online classes now, so make sure you look at that embryoga slash intuitive birth, and it will show up, um, and it can be, it's all on Zoom, so it can Yeah, be, it can be and all these links we're also going to have on birthcircle.com on the podcast page, because we cool. just, we love bringing in these resources, then you can go out and find out more about these amazing professionals. And oh, if you have we any have questions, a yoga app too. You have it, oh, a yoga oh, app? Yeah, I have a whole yoga series on YouTube right yeah. now. Oh, on YouTube. Perfect. Yeah, and the YouTube channel is, is the Mindful Birth podcast YouTube channel, but I have my whole entire Embryoga series that includes intentional bonding. We didn't even talk too much about that. Intentional bonding and um, basically prenatal yoga series. It's a very 
um, uh, intentional prenatal yoga series. Oh my goodness. Okay. You guys, listeners, you are hooked up. They have you covered, (laughs) but if you have any questions for me, or you'd like to pass on a message to these guys through me, if you didn't get all those links, you can email me at media at birthcircle.com. And thank you so much, Holly and Jamie. This has been such an amazing episode. And I, wow, I learned so much. Thank well, you. thank you. We're so happy to meet you and chat it with you really today. It's really nice to be on your podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.